You know, it's interesting as we look at Luke 15 together that um, the way you've learned these stories, there's three stories in Luke 15 that all um, encompass something being lost. At least that's the way the headings in my Bible describe them, the lost parable of the lost sheep, parable of the lost coin, and then the parable of the lost son is the heading in, in my Bible for the story we're looking at today. But, like, there's, there's no reason we couldn't look at those differently and recognize these as the parable of, I don't know, the found sheep, because it is found. The parable of the found coin, because the coin is found as well. And it may be even for our story this morning, the parable of the loving, the loving father. I think that could be helpful for us today to, to make that turn and to... To see it that way, perhaps. It is interesting to me, um, when we look at our story today, that you probably, like me, learned it as the parable of the prodigal son. But it's actually a story about two sons, right? And, and neither son more than the other. Indeed, the defining character in the story, I think, is the loving father. The father who loves both Sons, And so, let's look at the rest of the story together, beginning in verse 25. Because we don't want to leave the older son out. Now, his, his older son was in the field. And as he came near the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. Well, your brother is here. He told him, and your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because, because he has him back safe and sound. Then he, the, the older brother, became angry and didn't want to go in. So his father came out, his father came out and, and pleaded with him, but, but he replied to his father, Look, I've been, I've been slaving for years for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. It's interesting he said goat. I, I don't know if you've ever eaten goat. I have on a number of occasions, but occasionally in Haiti you will you will see um, the goat tied up in the mid-afternoon hours, and then you won't see the goat after supper, and you know what you, what you had uh, for supper. I digress. Look at verse 31. Father replies, Son, he said to him, You are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was, was dead and is alive again. He, he was lost and is found. May, I, may God add God's blessing to the reading of God's Word. Here, here in Luke 15, in this story, in all three stories, but particularly in this story, we have the, the, we have the entire gospel. Jesus doesn't hold anything back here in telling this story. And I believe that as we look at it together over the next few minutes, it has something to say to, to each of us, regardless of where we might be. 
The challenge for the preacher or the teacher on this passage or the, the facilitator in a small group is, you know, where, where do you focus? Do, do you put more emphasis on the gospel itself? Do you put more emphasis on the conditions that render the gospel necessary? I, I wonder each and every week if I am putting more emphasis or perhaps too much emphasis on those conditions than I am the gospel itself. Now, Tim Keller speaks into this and, and, and describes the gospel in this way. I love this definition. It's one of many, but it's, it's one that's meant a lot to me for a while. It says the gospel is this. We're more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. More sinful and flawed than we ever dared believe, yet at the very same time, more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope. I don't know about y'all, but we, um, ex- we, we deal with our bank, and I love our bank. I love the people at our bank. We've been with them a long time, and I got to know some of them. But now we live in a world where I don't go in there anymore. And I'm not talking about the pandemic. I'm talking about even before that. We have these apps on our phone. Are you all aware of this? And our bank has one, and we can now do all of our banking on our phones. And I miss seeing the tellers at the, at the bank because we can now cash checks, you know, on our, on our phone. And what you have to do if you do this uh, like we do is you have to, you know, take a picture of the check on both sides. And what our bank asks for, and it won't even work if we don't do this, is you have to put the check on a dark background. And that's assuming your checks are a light color, which I think all of ours are. And so you have to put it juxtaposed with a dark background so the check will show up, so that it can be read through the email that it sends and processed. You with me? That is, you cannot cash deposit a check at our bank uh, without this process without the dark background. So go with me here. The dark surface is the backdrop for the gospel. And the gospel shines brighter up against the darkness. There have to be conditions that we are saved from, right? But don't you let me become a preacher, teacher, pastor who enjoys talking about the dark background more than the check being deposited. Now, we do talk a lot about our brokenness, a lot about our separation from God, and, and we should. We should. But you see, I have terribly loving parents and, and a family now, wife who loves me so well in spite of so many things about myself, grandparents, great-grandparents. I have been Loved very well. Friends, mentors, many of you are in that group. It is not, my point is, it is not difficult for me to take a look at the brokenness that the Bible speaks of that is characteristic of my life and see it ascribed to women and men in the Bible and to understand it, uh, that I struggle with it too. This, this brokenness, we call it sin. But at the same time, know that I'm loved and lovable by those folks in my life and ultimately by God. Now, I am convinced that this is not as easy for some others. Perhaps you have not been loved as I describe I have. Perhaps it's not as easy for you to read this story and see clearly 
the loving father. The younger son. The younger son, as we see in the story, knew better than everyone else. He uh, did not want to be confined uh, or imposed uh, upon by structure any longer. He was ready to be his own man, but he needed the funds to do so. Now, at some point, we all allow our children to, to have some money to, to, to manage it, to make decisions on our own. But this young man wanted to make all of the decisions. He wanted no more oversight, and so he left. Now, never mind the fact that to do so, he had to ask for the money. He had to ask for his inheritance, which would have, as a younger son, been one-third of his father's estate. But to do so before the father died, perhaps you've heard this before. Perhaps it was part of your small group uh, conversation this morning or this week. To do so, to ask his father for his inheritance was to effectively say, hey, dad, I would like my money. I wish you were dead. I can't imagine. I just told you how much I felt loved. I actually, I was thinking just this morning, I was thinking about a time when I was very young. We lived in the parsonage. My father was a pastor as well. We lived in the parsonage in the church, uh, next to the church, and I, my bedroom was upstairs. My younger brothers were quite young at this time when we lived there, and so I had my bedroom upstairs, and there was a den up there, and there was a stairwell that led up to the den, and the den and the stairwell had the greenest, furriest carpet you've ever seen. It was just like the 80s, just vomited carpet into that uh, den, and they were just so green. Anyway, I remember sitting on those stairs with that green carpet, bawling my eyes out, I remember it like it was yesterday I, because I was, for the first time in my life, acutely aware that I was not going to live forever, and more importantly, my parents weren't, and they would likely die before me, and I was overwhelmed because I could not imagine life without Cindy and Bill. I could not imagine it, and I was completely overwhelmed. The younger son is saying, I wish you were dead. But the father was not dead. So this is worse than wishing the father were dead. This is, I know you're not dead yet, Dad, but I would rather be on my own as if you were dead than to live in the house with you. I can't wait to get out of here. I am never coming back. The grass looked oh so greener on the other side for this son. So he asks for his check. He takes out his phone and he deposits it and he leaves home. Sometimes things don't go as planned, right? Or the grass doesn't turn out to be greener on the other side. Sometimes we wake up and we look around and the only thing we have to eat are the pods that were supposed to be feeding the pigs in the job that we've signed up for, which those pods occasionally, very rarely, were eaten by the poorest of the poor. This young man was absolutely in the doldrums. And at this point, he resolved to, to do what? To go back home. Now, working in a downtown church for years, as I did, I would very often uh, come across a young woman or a young man who would come by our church straight off of a Greyhound bus coming into Nashville because cities are where you come when you're running from something or running towards something. And so they would land on our doorstep because they would come to the church for help. They would land on our doorstep with a backpack and a story and nothing else. And I would listen to their story intently and I would try very hard to believe them and give them the benefit of the doubt knowing there are two sides or three sides or four sides to every story. But I would want to hear them and I would want to help them. And my first question always, never, 
ever was it not, hey, can we, can we call home? Can we call home? Usually the answer was no. That's where they were running from. But sometimes, sometimes they would. And even those handful of times where we got to do something really sweet, and that was buy a bus ticket back home and get them there. Sometimes the damage is too much, right? Sometimes the little boy or little girl has cried wolf too many times. Sometimes the circle is broken and the prodigal can no longer be trusted. The parents cannot take the lying anymore. And, you know, sometimes the parents are awful and selfish and so wrapped up in their own lives and their own brokenness that they were never able to put their kids' well-being before their own. They persistently refused to, to grow up and love their kids well. Y'all, the background is really ugly sometimes, and the separation can seem too great. But then that's where we have to understand the good news that is God's. The gospel that defines our lives over and against everything else, anything else that we are, as Keller says, more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. When those prodigal young men or women would come by the church, when they would agree to call home every single time, you could just see the pain on their face, the tension, the what are they going to say on the other line, on the other side of this call? How would they be received? What would mom say? Don't miss that about this story because Jesus answers that question for us in this story. What does the father do? Takes off running. Running toward his son. The son tries to apologize and the father says, no time for that. Let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. I would, I would think that dead and alive would come after lost and found, but that's not how Jesus tells the story here. Here we see that perhaps there's something worse than being dead or something even greater than being alive. The, to be lost, that's the worst. But to be found, that's the gospel. That while we were broken, while we were still sinners immersed in that dark background, maybe confused and thinking that we blended in to the point where we would never be seen again, Jesus did not leave us there to fend for ourselves. We are found. And to be found is to be with God, to be, as Scott McKnight reminds us, <laughs> with God who is with us for us and unto us. This is what hashtag never alone speaks to. And we've been saying it over and over again all through the pandemic, but God has been saying it forever. And it's exactly what the father told his older son. When his older son had his hands in the air and was going, what in the world is going on here? I don't even get the goat. He said, son, you are always with me. 
There's nothing that I have that's not yours. Did you catch that? It's really easy for the parts of this story to just become something we've heard for a long time or something that we've never even heard. It is clear here. The father said, it's all yours. Anything that you think I've withheld from you along the way, you made that up in your own head. You convinced yourself of that. You've always been with me and everything I have is yours. It is tragic when this story gets fixated on the younger son because the older son, me, 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 me. I was the oldest. It's a whole lot of us too. He's upset because dad's throwing a party for the squanderer, for the brother who wasn't working hard. This, this is not fair. The single sentence that is uttered most in my household. No offense, kids. I love y'all. It's not fair. The older son was offended. Sure, little brother can come home, but celebrate him? What in the world? Make him sit in the corner, make him eat leftovers, wear hand-me-downs. This makes no sense. Sure doesn't. The late Reverend Fred Craddock, who you guys know I love so much, he, he preached, admittedly, on this passage hundreds of times. And eventually, later in life, he confessed he did so every time, not giving enough or much at all thought to the party and how odd it was that the party you know, was thrown in the story. He said he never really thought about it until a family up the street from his house divorced and, and they had three or four daughters and, and one of them was prematurely mature about 14 years old, and she was truant at school, and she was into marijuana and always in trouble and always before the judge and chasing around and hanging off of every motorcycle that ran up and down through the neighborhood. And she finally was truant to the point where she was involved in enough misdemeanor, misdemeanors where the judge finally said, you're going away. And she was sent away to a detention home for girls. And about the fourth or fifth month that she was there, she gave birth to the child that she was carrying. She was 15 at the time. And then a few months later, word came uh, from the neighborhood that she was coming home. And so, you know, the rumor mill started, as it does. And everybody was wondering, will she have the, the baby with her? Is she really coming back home? And the, the day came when the neighborhood finally heard it was happening and she was supposed to be home. And, and, and on this particular day, uh, everybody in the neighborhood was out mowing the yard. Everybody. She didn't come for a while. And they were wondering, where is Kathy? Well, finally, when everybody's yards were about that high, the car pulled up. And out came Kathy. She had the baby. And the family ran out of the house and Everybody was so excited, and then a car pulled in the driveway, and then another car pulled in, and then another car pulled in, and then pretty soon there were cars lining the street, all along the street. So many people were there. They were having a party. And suddenly, Fred, 
you know, Reverend Craddock, he got anxious. He was like, oh gosh, are they going to invite me to the party? So he went in his house. What if somebody came over and said, hey, Fred, she's home. Kathy's home and she has the baby and we are celebrating. Get Nettie. Come on over. Fred asked himself, would, would I have gone? If you live next door to the prodigal son's father, would you have gone to the party? I love this line. Fred said, it's easier to preach on this passage than it is to go to the party. See, the older son didn't go in. He stayed outside, the text tells us. Maybe he was mowing the, the yard. But I need you to know something today, and I need you to hear me because I was, re- it was reinforced in my life this week, and it's been so important for me to remember and to dwell upon. I need you to hear me say it. I don't remember it enough in my own life. The grace extended to you doesn't cost me anything. It just doesn't. The blessing that comes into someone else's life doesn't cost you your blessing. And it doesn't cost you anything to celebrate with the one who has come home because God loves them too. It doesn't cost you anything. Son, the father said to him, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours was dead and is now alive. He was lost and is found. And maybe a party this morning doesn't feel like the most natural response to what the younger son did or the way that he chose to live his life. But each of these stories in Luke 15, they all end in a party. So I challenge you this morning to consider that maybe it is a natural response, at least to God. A party is thrown, so it seems pretty natural from Jesus' perspective and pretty important. Do you know what the word prodigal means? It means wastefully extravagant. And the younger son gets that tag most often, but I'm here to tell you it's not the only prodigal in the story. The father is as well. Now, maybe you feel distant from God this morning. Maybe you are here out of a sense of obligation. Whatever your posture is toward the father this morning, the father, the father who created everything that there is, who knit you together so intricately, who knows you and who loves you and who is whispering in each of our ears this morning that we are never alone is an extravagant father. Perhaps this father even loves you wastefully in spite of anything you may have done or left undone. You know, it was undignified for a father to take off running. You wouldn't have ever heard of that happening in this time in the world. And this father hiked up his robe and could not help but run. And God runs for you as well. You will not be given up on. You will not be let go of. You will not be forgotten. You, quite simply, are found. You are worth being found.
found. 